0: When we talk about moms and women as a whole, um, no doubt, they're very, very, very intelligent people. Let me share a story about how intelligent ladies are. Three men were hiking through a forest when they came upon a large, raging, violent river. Needing to get to the other side, the first man prayed, and he said, God, please give me the strength to cross the river. Poof! God gave him big arms and strong legs. He was able to swim across in about two hours having almost drowned twice, but he made it. After witnessing that, the second man prayed, God, please give me strength and the tools to cross the river. Poof! God gave him a rowboat, strong arms, strong legs. He was able to row across in about an hour after almost capsizing just once. Seeing what happened to the first two men, the third man prayed this, God, please give me the strength, the tools, and the intelligence to cross this river. Poof! He was turned into a woman. She checked the map, hiked 100 yards upstream, and walked across the bridge that was already there. (laughs) We can talk about the intelligence of women, and and truly many are smart. I remember reading a historical account about Ann Jarvis, who was the one who designed and promoted and put together this whole idea of Mother's Day. And she was smart enough and wanted to appreciate her mom that she, she suggested all this. But as time went by, she became very, very cynical of it because after a while, what had happened is there was this merchandising of Mother's Day items, especially the cards that came out and that whole industry. And she made the comment, they are a poor excuse for the letter you are too lazy to write yourself. Well, I appreciate having the cards. And some of them, well, maybe they're, they're not as sentimental like this one, for instance. Two, three ladies sitting there discussing about their children and how great their children are and what good relationships they have. The first one said, you have sh- should have seen what my son did for me on Mother's Day. He threw a big party at a fancy restaurant, even hired a band to come and play for me. The next one wanted not to be you know, outdone. She made this comment, that's nice, but my son gave me an all-expense-paid cruise to the Greek islands. The third woman who was convinced her son was even the best, said, that's nothing. For the last three years, my son has been paying a fancy psychiatrist thousands of dollars so he can meet with him two times a week. And when they get together the whole time they are there, all they do is talk about me. (laughs) Now, some ladies may may not appreciate that type of card if they got it from their kids. Just probably the same way that some people don't appreciate the card that God sent about ladies. That so many, they shy away from. Whenever we mention Proverbs 31, there's all of a sudden a reaction that says, ah, I don't want to hear that. Here I'm going to have on Mother's Day, I'm supposed to hear something that's a tribute to me, and I get beat up by this passage that God talked to us and sent to us about ladies. Well, this, uh, this morning, let's do something a little bit different. Let's explore the passage The background to the passage. We did this several years back. Let me revisit it and just give you some of the background information that I think if you knew this and kept this in mind, you would probably have a different view of Proverbs 31. Here we go. Here's what we notice about Proverbs 31. We know first of all that it was written by a, it was not written by a man, but by a woman. So God's author of this, the human author, is a lady where she makes the comment, what my son, what the son of my womb, when she starts talking in verse 2. So it's a lady speaking about ladies, not men giving their ideas as inspired by God. Number two, let's make this observation. It was written by a mother to her son. And I've already read in verse 2 where she makes that comment, and she three times addresses her son. And so here she is, she's talking to him, giving him information. In fact, if we set the scene a little bit better, it is the queen mother talking to her son, who is the king. He is old enough at this point to rule. She's going to talk about what he needs to do as the ruler and how he should operate. And he's old enough to be considering a wife. So mom talking to the son, who's already in his adulthood years. Number three, it was written by a realist. Not somebody living in a fairy tale land. Sometimes we get that reaction when we read some of what it describes as far as the virtuous woman or literally the woman of valor. When we read that section, sometimes we say, oh my, they're living in a fairy tale existence. Well, actually, not so. This is written by a woman who is a queen, so here she is talking about life as it is in the palace and giving the realities about him as a king. And she basically says in the first few verses, even though you're a king you better be careful. Because just because you live in the palace, things may not be happily ever after. And so she's giving him a reality check. We'll explore those verses in just a second. And she's going to challenge him to avoid making some major mistakes as a ruler. So she's real in that regard. When she talks about, you know, what what kind of a woman to be looking for, that woman of valor, She doesn't, she isn't exaggerating situations. She's talking from her perspective. What life is like from her point of vantage point. She talks about the servants. She talks about wealth. She talks about lands. She talks about her husband in the gates. And that's true. She was a noble woman and so she would have somewhat more than many of you and I would have in the sense that she would be the upper class. But she's talking about the realities of life for somebody in their setting. And so she's not, she's not living in this theory, she's living in a reality world and gives warnings about some of the reality world that her son could face as well as, as she is in her circumstances, what should she be doing, somebody who is of the noble class, to show that they are a woman of valor. Something else that stands out is this. She's writing with the idea of not all focus on her son's earthly successes, that, that isn't what's most important in her mind. Rather, she's writing about him being spiritually successful. When she when she addresses situations in this text, <coughs> when she talks about different character virtues, she's talking about walking with the Lord and how that'll impact. Now, just to give you a little bit of that background, she begins with words. She begins with descriptions that bring us right away to the idea, remember God, remember God. Look at how she says that at the very beginning, where she says in verse 2, and what the son of my womb, and what the son of my vows. She's referring to that idea that he is a child that came as a result of God's blessings, her commitment she calls him Lemuel, her nickname for him. The nickname that apparently we understand, we know what that means, belonging to the Lord, reminding him by his nickname that he is, uh, he is one who is supposed to be serving the Lord. In fact, folk, it's in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs were all about wisdom literature for individuals on how to be successful in life before the Lord. And time and time again, there is the reminder throughout the entire 31 chapters, don't forget the Lord, remember the Lord, your walk with the Lord. She even concludes with the idea that the woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised, which is a key verse in that entire section. And so here's a woman writing to her son, talking about the most important things in life, my son, is yes, how you do your business as a king, yes, and how you conduct, and yes, you know what to look for, but making sure that it's all within the framework of serving the Lord. Let me make another observation about this text. Proverbs 31 contains a lot of wise advice. A wise advice for her son to follow. And I remind you, her son is the king, the king of the Hebrew people, the king of a chosen nation, a king who is under God's authority, who needs to be careful how he treats God's people as the protector, as the leader of God's people. And she makes some very interesting observations to her son. She says, son, in order for you to be successful before the Lord, you need to be a moral man. You mean one that has a, a proper morality. Don't lose control. Don't give in to the desires of your flesh. In fact she writes that where she says in verse three and and following, where she says, Give not your strength unto woman, nor thy ways to that which destroys kings. Don't be one who's who's controlled by wickedness and lust. She goes a little bit further. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink the wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert judgment of any of the afflicted. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, there you go, for the narcotic and for the, the painkiller, and wine unto those that are of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery. Open your mouth, and then she goes on talks about some other practical areas for the king. But first and foremost, she's saying, son, you need to be moral in, your, in how you deal with your own desires and appetites. You need to be moral in the fact that you don't abuse your authority. Look what she says in the next verses, where she talks about, Open your mouth for the dumb in the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. Open your mouth, judge righteously, plead the cause of the poor and the needy. And so she's saying, you who are in authority, my son, you you need to judge fairly. You need to not be one who is going to judge based upon some wealth or some... some, um, buddy being in the upper class and forget the poor and and take advantage of them don't be prejudiced towards individuals in fact she makes a statement that we may not catch in our English as quickly as in the Hebrew, that you need to remember all people are important. Look where she says in verse 9. She says, please, the uh, or in the end of verse 8, excuse me, um, she says that you open your mouth for the dumb and the cause of all such who are appointed unto destruction. Literally, they're on their last leg. You need to respect life. None of the euthanasia idea, none of that, they're so old, let's just ignore them. Not at all. You be moral. You respect and value all life, even of all classes of people. You make sure that your own desires, don't do what Herod did, In the New Testament, remember Herod got caught up with the partying, with the wine, with with his his stepdaughter's dance, that all of a sudden he beheads John the Baptist. You be a moral man. You be a moral king over God's people. Then she gives him another tidbit of advice. She says, you need to make sure you're serving others. In the application of the same verses, you serve, serve others. You don't focus on serving yourself. How do I know that? Well, you don't indulge in your personal pleasures at the expense of others. You serve your people justly, not just serve yourself, as she talks about speaking up for the poor and, and those who aren't able to speak up for themselves. Defend those who can't defend themselves. She making, making the comment, protect those even who can't make much of a contribution back to you, back in the taxes or back in, in society, the poor, the needy. You're supposed to be focused on those individuals, not yourself and your own personal gain. So in other words, serve others, and that's the rule of the king. That's what God wanted from them. Do you remember in 1 Samuel, when the people first asked for a king, Samuel warned them. He says, there's going to come a time when kings are going to heap to themselves a lot of the the enjoyments and the pleasures and overtax you people and take advantage of the poor and even take your sons and force them into labor. And he warned the nation that that could happen one day, that they would have kings that would become wicked and selfish. Well, mom is telling her son exactly the same thing, but in different words. Don't you become one of those kings that is immoral. Don't you become one of those kings that focuses on yourself at the expense of, of others. Just because you have the authority to do something or the ability to do something, that doesn't mean you should do it you remember this week hearing in the news about the little boy in Ogden, Utah? The five-year-old to be six this coming week. The five, nearly six-year-old decided that what he wanted to do was get a Lamborghini. He asked his mom the day before if she would buy one. She told him no. Well, the day came, the next day, mom and dad are at work. His older sister was to be babysitting him, but she fell asleep on the couch, so he took his $3 out of his bank, put it in his pocket, went and got the keys to the family SUV, drove it out of the driveway, drove it down the street, up the... the. Um, uh, I'm going brain dead, the ramp, the ramp to a three-lane highway and drove two miles down the road, weaving in and out of traffic. State police pulled him over and the state policeman said, I was shocked. I expected a drunk driver, an impaired driver, but not a five-year-old behind the wheel of an SUV could barely see over it. Just because the boy could drive doesn't mean he should be driving. The same way that just because you can do certain things, King, doesn't mean that you should be doing them. So let's make this this third point of advice that mom made. You need to marry wisely. And that's what she develops through the bulk of the chapter that you and I know as the virtuous woman in Proverbs chapter 31. Her advice is basically avoid the certain woman. Verse 3, we already read, where he talks about don't give your strength to certain ladies. And then instead, she gives this lengthy section about what type of lady, you who are in authority, who anybody would want to marry you, you've got to be careful who you marry. And so she gives him some of this this very practical, very point of advice. Now, when you read it, remember, it is Hebrew po- poetry. It is filled with superlatives. It is each and every phrase is going to be a little bit um, exotic and embellished. And, and just as you, you may already know, there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So from verse 10 to the end of the chapter, each one of those verses begins with the, the A, the B, the C in succession of the alphabet. And it's designed that way so that it could be easily memorized. And so going through, this mom is writing to a son who loves poetry. He's already written a lot of these proverbs. And so she's writing that same musical, poetic style to her son, making, giving him something easy to memorize. But behind it is that whole idea of advice. Mom's saying the type of woman you should look for. And we have all these different different uh, characteristics and attributes that we often focus on on Mother's Day. But keeping the, the big picture here, Instead of the individual verses, the overall big picture, what this is, is mom giving advice to a son. And again, it's worthy to, to go in to explore each one of those verses. Today we won't do that. We'll just keep on the bigger picture. But she's giving him this advice, and basically she's saying to him, son, remember, your private life will affect your public life. What your home is like will definitely affect your reputation in public. Will affect in, in major areas. Could be in business. It could be in ministry. It could be in all those different ways. Son, be careful. Mom giving advice to her son is another point of the text. Let me give you another thought. In Proverbs 31, it's written by someone who knew exactly what they were talking about. She knew when she gives these warnings. She's experienced some of this herself. Who's the lady? Who's the supposed author, the best that scholars have concluded? Most are, most are on the uh, thought that this is Bathsheba. Bathsheba who had been Uriah's wife. Bathsheba who ended up with David. Bathsheba who then became the birth mother of Solomon. That she is the author. She is the one who is saying, son of my vows. She is the one who has nicknamed her son, uh, Lemuel, Solomon. And she's writing to him. Now think this through. When she is writing about, be careful that you don't indulge in wines, she knows what she's talking about. She knew the harm and the heartache that can come through somebody who is self-indulging with other ladies, self-indulging with their own desires, putting them first instead of serving the people. She knows what it's like when somebody in authority abuses power. She lived through it. She saw it. She was complicit in it. She's an individual who knows the personal pain that can come when there's abuse of pleasure and power. She's lived it. She's been there. She's, she's, by her own experience, she experienced burying her own husband and one of her children as a result of some of that abuse and some of that self-indulgence. She knows what it's like to see families absolutely decimated. How they can be affected by somebody's the, the father's sin in this case, where David's sin, it was he was told it would come upon his family fourfold time, and so she knew the heartache of all that. She knows what she's talking about. She knows when she's warning Solomon, you know that there could be real difficult at all times just because you're the king, just because you're chosen by God doesn't mean you're exempt from consequences, from chastisements, from the real king of all the earth. And so she's in love and impatience. She's warning him. And this whole passage takes on a whole new flavor when you understand it's coming from a mom who lived some of that herself and is saying, don't make the same mistake that your father and I made. And she's giving him some very sound advice. Can we just take that thought and make some applications this morning quickly? Can Can we ask ourselves, without looking at all the specifics of the character traits, Can we just taking the general picture, can we ask ourselves, you know, what do we walk away with from this chapter? What lesson or lessons are there that would be good for the ladies or for anyone in your household? Can I make just a few observations that are encouraging to me? Number one is this, you can be used of God today, no matter what your yesterday. In Bathsheba's case, She had a a questionable past. She had been involved with an affair outside of her marriage and with her husband. And yet, as time went by, she ends up marrying David. And as time goes by, she becomes the mother of Solomon. And as time goes by, she is writing scriptures inspired to her own son. And talking about and giving good advice because she's been forgiven. She's repented like her husband repented. And she is an individual that she looks and says, I can, I can still help you out. And God can use an individual. Let me Let me make this observation for you. Past failures do not completely disqualify you from being used by God in some way. And this woman, though she had a, a dark past, she is able to make some very, very, very helpful ideas and suggestions and impact here in the days that are following after she repented and got right with the Lord. Can I make another observation? You have the ability to make a big difference. You have the ability to make a big difference in and out of your home for good and for God. She talks about that in this text. She talks about how, according to her comment, that ladies in the commu- can have a community impact where she makes the comment, she talks about she reaches forth her hand to the needy. She talks about in verse 31, she gives the fruit of her hands, let her works be praised in the gate. And even though she had a questionable past, here she is forgiven, moving forward, and she is making a big difference. She's helping out individuals. She's being used by God. She even makes the comment, she says, I can either make or break my husband's career, as from where we are right now. Where she makes that comment about him, the heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her of his life. She may of her life. She makes the comment in verse twenty-three, her husband is known in the gates. And so she can have, you can have. A big, tremendous impact, not only on your community by your charitable deeds, but also upon your own family reputation, your husband's career. She makes the observation, you can, by in general, the whole passage, you can make or break your kid's character. By the training, by the, by this entire living out this passage and being an individual, here she is. She's had things in the past, but here she is now. She's helping her son develop his character, his moral code, his civil code, his life in serving the Lord. You can make a big difference, Mom. Ladies, anyone listening right now. You can make a big difference in your community. You can make a difference in your family. You can make a difference even in the fact that you can impact others around you. Maybe you don't have children, but what about your siblings? Maybe about those kids that you teach. You can help. You can make a big difference as you serve the Lord today, no matter what happened yesterday. Let me make a third observation. You can be used of God to impact many by being a teacher-advisor. Very similar to what I just said, but in particular, teaching and giving good advice. Her great advice that she gave, oh man, she influenced her son. She influenced him even at an older age by giving him wise counsel, giving him helpful counsel. She's she's influenced people of all ages. You ever read this passage in the past? You ever get some benefit out of it? Bathsheba's voice is continuing down from generation to generation because she yielded to the Lord, repented, used of God, wrote down these words that were included in the scripture and made a tremendous impact because of her teaching, because of her advice that she gave. Same thing you can do by being a good teacher, a good advisor that basically tells people live for the Lord, live for the Lord, live for the Lord. Let me make another observation. Focus primarily on promoting that which is most important in teaching and in advice, and that is serve God. Make sure that that is your mantra. Make sure that is the theme of your message that you give, that you give and give that counsel that, hey, family, you need to live a moral life. Hey, family, let me advise you, serve God in the way that you work. The way you do the job that God has given you. Son, for you, don't abuse your power. Use your, do what God said kings are supposed to do. You moms telling those sons, you moms telling those daughters, hey, how they can serve the Lord even in the workplace today. And they can serve God even by using their gifts, their talents, their musical abilities, their sports abilities. Serve God. Serve God. And making that to be the major theme, the major, the major motto that you present to your children. Serve God by living morally. Serve God by doing the job. You can help them to serve God by creating a godly home, a godly atmosphere. One where they, they hear about the Lord. One where the Lord is honored by your example, by your life. One that you say, hey listen, I'm going to show and I'm going to portray to my spouse how to be godly. Gentlemen, you can have a tremendous impact by doing exactly what this passage talks about, the men treating the wives. Wives, vice versa. But most of all, by you yourself living for the Lord, where it says, favor is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And so in the concluding remarks, mom is saying to her son, the most important thing in my life is that I serve the Lord. And then the greatest joy is to know that my children walk in truth. My friend, you can make a difference by you teaching the word of God by you giving good, godly advice and godly counsel and saying, serve the Lord. No matter what's in your background, no matter what's in your past, if it's been repented of, God can use you in some way, shape, or form in that home, in that life, in your community around you as long as you say, I am going to serve the Lord. And I thank God for the many, many ladies in our congregation who have this attitude, that they are not letting their past hold them back. They are giving their best to Jesus Christ, their best to their family, because they know they're forgiven, they've experienced that, and they're trying to guide and direct their children to keep that close walk with the Lord. They're trying to help out their husbands to serve the Lord to the best of their ability. To you, many ladies, we say, Happy Mother's Day. And pray that God would bless you abundantly as you continue to be such a good influence and example to the many of us here in our church family. Father, I thank you for these ladies. I thank you for this illustration of Bathsheba, who gives us this encouragement that just helps lift our spirits when sometimes we get down and beat up on ourselves. And I pray that you would help our moms in that most difficult task that they have opted to embark upon, and that is raising their children for the glory of Christ, being that help me to their their spouses. And I pray that you would continue to use them Bless them. Give them the wisdom they need to be able to give good counsel. Give them the strength they need to be such a godly example and help them as they lay out a pattern, a pattern that their children can follow after. Thank you for such moms in our church. I thank you for my wife being such a mom. I thank you for my mom giving that example of being in love with you and giving us and sharing with us the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help in the days ahead that these ladies here on this earth, until you come, are able to fulfill that task to the best of their abilities. We praise you for them and for the help you will give them. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. God bless you, ladies. Have a happy Mother's Day.